0: Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 603 of the podcast and it is Friday the 11th of February 2022 as I record this. On today's show, I'm talking to C. Ruth Taylor about self publishing in the Caribbean with an overview of the indie movement in Jamaica and the Caribbean islands and reaching the diaspora with your books, which is relevant with many authors for many authors in different countries. So it's basically the market who don't live in your country anymore, but who have a heritage back in a home country but live somewhere else. So, for example, we discuss how to market to Jamaicans living in the UK and the US. We also talk about how you can build a career around your books, wherever you are in the world, and the importance of sharing your story in your voice with your experience. So that's coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, well, the rather big news this week is that draft digital has acquired Smashwords, or the companies have merged, and Mark Coker, possibly the original indie author, is joining the team at Drafter digital The combined company will publish and distribute 800,000 titles from 250,000 authors and publishers. Mark Coker says in his blog post, this acquisition doesn't mean I'm running off to buy an island in the Caribbean. (laughs) This will be an all stock combination, meaning no money is changing hands. I'm investing our entire company into the new Draft2Digital and together we'll lead the next chapter of the indie publishing revolution. And Chris Austin from draft digital says, The resources we once expended creating duplicative systems can now be redeployed to ramp up our R&D investments in next generation tools to empower authors and publishers. So... Personally, I think this is uh, has been inevitable. I certainly wasn't surprised <laughs> to hear about it. Consolidation happens as any industry matures, and the indie movement is around 14 years old at this point. It's, if you take it from the digital ebook perspective, when ebooks started to to kind of take off, and, and indie authors could publish on Smashwords and that kind of thing, and change is the only constant. Remember, things do not stay the same. You might have noticed. Things don't stay the same. So, overall, I think it's good for authors on both sides, although there will be inevitable criticism. Drafted digital authors will get access to the Smashwords store, and Smashwords authors will get better back end tools. And together, the company can be an even stronger advocate for independent authors. So in terms of the um, putting things together, the press release says to minimize workflow disruption for authors, publishers and sales partners, the two platforms will combine their systems in gradual and incremental steps. So this will t- definitely take some time. I would say uh, this type of merger and technology changeover and stuff is, is going to take a year. <laughs> so give, give both teams some time. Uh, some authors are worried that it means less choice in the market in terms of publishing, but the team are almost entirely authors as well as working at Drafter Digital. So they know what we want. And also, uh, many of the team are in the various Facebook groups that you, many of you are in. They're doing live Q and A's. They're responding to email questions. I'm going to have hopefully Mark Coker and Kevin Tumlinson from Drafter Digital Uh, coming maybe even this week to talk about it and ask some questions and the deal should be going through at the beginning of March so that is coming up I'm personally I'm happy about that I think uh, good stuff (laughs) and as I said inevitable Plus, on the Ask Ally podcast this week, uh, so that's the Alliance of Independent Authors podcast, that Orna Ross and I do uh, a session every month together for the Advanced Show. And this month, we discuss the changing impact of subscription models on audio earnings And also discoverability, Spotify's purchase of Findaway, which happened just before Christmas. And I've talked about that. And um, we talk about the pros and cons of that. We also talk about our experience of AI for audiobooks and why subscription models may accelerate the adoption of AI narration because of costs. (laughs) We also think narrators can use voice licensing as another income stream. You guys know I talk about that. We also muse on whether AI narration will take off in non-English speaking markets first, because those markets are incredibly underserved. And uh, so are kind of desperate for a way to get content into audio. So interesting times as ever, that is on the Ask Ally. So ask and then A-L-L-I podcast, po- podcast? <laughs> on your favourite app. I'll also link in the show notes as ever. So in my personal update, I finally <laughs> finished and republished the ebook of Stone of Fire, my first novel. It is around 20,000 words lighter, which is interesting, because the plot is the same. So if you've read it, and in your mind, you're like, okay, I know the story, because we all know, once you've read a, a novel, particularly, the overall sense of the book remains, but not necessarily the individual lines. Uh, and so if you read Stone of Fire, you wouldn't, I don't think you've noticed, but it's a lot faster read. It's so much Pacier. And I think one of one of the biggest issues is that back when I wrote it in two thousand nine to twenty eleven, I was still kind of hung up on the way literary fiction should go. So a lot of my paragraphs were quite long. I didn't really understand white space and sentence fragments and the way to move a reader through a book at a faster pace, which is kind of important for a thriller. I also remember that I was told on my writing course that a thriller had to be over 70,000 words. It couldn't be any less. So I definitely padded it out to around 75,000 words. But my books now, my natural length of a full length thriller is 55k. Now, of course, you can write longer thrillers, but my natural length is that books tend to shape out at around 55,000 words, and which is completely fine. <laughs> and so, it was, I actually didn't intend to chop 20,000 words, but after I'd done the rewrites, I looked at the word count and was like, mm, That's interesting. That, uh, in terms of how it just ended up that way, by me now writing in the way that I write. So I've been working with a new editor who's great and she'll be coming on the show later in the year. I'm also working on Crypt of Bone now. I'm going to get do the first three books uh, because they hang together so well and um, yeah, I'm also getting the print editions done. I'm going to do a whole episode on this, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But if you did want to read the ebook of Stone of Fire, it is now out on the various platforms, or it's also on my payhip.com forward slash the creative pen, and it's free. It's a free ebook everywhere. Um, I'm going to share some stuff with my patrons around the what it did look like and what it looks like now. And hopefully that'll be interesting, but I I will share some more info in this solo show that I'm working on that will be coming up sometime in the next month, I guess. (laughs) Busy, busy, obviously. I also had a really interesting conversation with Dan, my personal trainer. So we work out twice a week. Um, Obviously, since the pandemic, he's been coming around here or we've been doing it on Zoom. But I've got weights in my house and kettlebells and all this. And uh, I started doing this. Those of you who've been listening a long time will know that a few years back, I had really bad shoulder pain, back pain and uh, basically the health issues you get with being a writer do involve a lot of shoulder issues um, and arm issues and all of that kind of thing. So I was like, right, I'm, and a specialist uh, uh, who I saw basically said, I'll see you back here. You know, they gave me a steroid injection or whatever it was uh, for the pain. And then he said, I'll see you back here in a few months unless you do something. So that's when I started working with Dan. He's essentially specializes in rehab, but is also um, a just a general trainer. So uh, with mature clients, of which I am one. (laughs) So anyway, we, we work out twice a week. In fact, he's coming over quite soon and we'll be working out this morning. But in between sets of deadlifts, we talked about lifting age. And I hadn't really heard this before. So he is about 14 years younger than me. But he has several decades on me in terms of his lifting age because he started lifting weights in his teens. Now, my lifting age is at this point around two and a half years. I am two and a half years into lifting. And it's the same with writing, and it changes with the type of writing. And I think this is what frustrates people. So, I have at this point almost 14 years of writing age for both fiction and nonfiction because I've been writing seriously for publication since 2008 but to be honest like in terms of poetry for example I've got about I'm about three months old for poetry (laughs) and those three months were about 25 decades 25 decades 25 years ago Uh, I do I am actually a published poet in an like an official book and everything but um, yeah I'm about three months old for poetry And I know several uh, people at the moment, they are very, very, very experienced journalists with decades of writing for journalism, but they're struggling with a novel. And the same applies. You can't just have an exact equivalent in your writing age from one uh, type of writing to another. Now, it doesn't mean you necessarily start from zero because, of course, you do bring over some writing chops, but there's just lots to learn and lots of experience. I think the same applies in the indie world and the business of being a writer with marketing, with all of this, because some people, you know, I've I've met many very, very experienced writers. Maybe they have 40 years of professional writing novels, for example, but no experience or confidence in publishing, marketing or... Creative business, and the questions they ask are sort of day one of business. (laughs) So, I think this is a good metaphor to keep in mind if you get frustrated with your writing or your marketing skills or your career as a writer or look anything really. You start any new job. I've said this before, but you know, you start any new job, how valuable are you in year one? pretty much everyone just learning in year one, right? And year two and year three. By year five, people are worth a bit more. By year 10, you are really experienced in an industry. And so you have to kind of think about that metaphor. It applies to everything. And this idea has helped me in the rewrites because I'm reading Stone of Fire and I can see the younger writer in me. I see the baby writer getting things classic classic things wrong but still the reviews have been good um over the years and these initial novels they've I've built my career on these novels even though they're not perfect so I'm trying to be forgiving of me younger me and doing these rewrites with a lot more writing years behind my uh, under my belt <laughs> and I mean it's the same as saying well I'm, you know I'm going to walk into a gym and I'm going to lift 100 kilos you know no you're not <laughs> you could work up to it and if you put the time in and you do your reps and you work up the levels and you don't get damaged then yes you can lift the 100k you can write the novels you can make a career like this but it's all about getting your reps in over time learning new things and all of that so that's my little uh, that's my little message for today so what is your writing age for the type of writing you do and that you might have several writing ages Uh, for the type of writing you do. Are you being too hard on yourself for where you are? I mean, what's your uh, creative business age? What's your marketing age? Uh, Think about it that way and really consider how much time have you put into these various things. Uh, And I would love to know what you think. You can tweet me at The Creative Pen. You can email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. You can leave a comment on the blog post, the show notes or the YouTube channel. I'd love to hear. So Thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. And in fact, this is about time. Uh, Imaginator said on YouTube, I think this was on YouTube. I've always remembered the advice you gave in your marketing book to measure author success on an Olympic calendar every four years. Indeed, I have said this many times. In this regard, 2021 and 22 have so far been massive leaps forward as far as marketing knowledge and efforts go. Looking where I was and what I was doing in January 2018 is almost laughable compared to now. And I hope I can say the same in 2026. Thank you, Imaginator. And that I guess that also works with this lifting age metaphor. Witcherly Books, Uh, I think that's Julia, Julia at Witcherly, uh says, just to confirm that your podcasts sell books. After catching up with some of your episodes recently, I've just bought a thousand and one ways to market your book. I reckon we sold some for John Cramer last week, and the NFT handbook, which I'm also working through myself. So very cool. And uh yes, I mean I I also end up buying a lot of books from my own show. And SL Aga um, says, uh, just caught up with episode 600. It was epic. I will be there for 700. I hope you will be too. <laughs> I'm certainly intending to be at this point. I can definitely see enough to keep me busy for a couple more years. Right, so uh, this episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help you reach new readers around the world. And I have to say, as a personal note, the uh, KWL team is one of the friendliest (laughs) and uh, most responsive help teams. So if you would like to work with Kobo Writing Life, they're really super helpful. Right now, digital books are reaching more people than ever and libraries are becoming an integral part of that. In 2021, top digital library systems powered by Overdrive loaned 500 million books, an increase of 16% on 2020. That's half a billion book loans, which means a lot of happy library readers. You can easily reach library readers through Kobo Writing Life. All you need to do is go to the rights and Distribution section of your book, click Yes to Overdrive and enter a library price. Your book will then be available to librarians to purchase for multi-loan use, but also for a one-time checkout option. Distributing with KWL means you're not paying any aggregator fee and you'll earn 50% on every library sale. If you're interested in taking part in library promotions, email KWL's dedicated author care team at writinglifeatkobo.com and they'll add you to the mailing list. And don't forget to tell your readers that they can now pick up your book in libraries. And yes, uh, just an aside, you can get my books in your library through the digital catalogue, both fiction and nonfiction in multiple formats. It's free to the reader through libraries and I still get paid. Hooray! So yes, I, I think we all love libraries. Uh, many of us grew up in libraries and they are Oh, haven. They were certainly my haven at school. I always used to go to the library on the way home and sit there for a bit and just feel happy. <laughs> Little quiet introvert reader in the corner over there. Uh, so if you want to learn more about KWL, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast on your favourite app and find them on social. Create your free account today at kobo.com forward slash writing life. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time as ever is supported by my wonderful patrons, especially the uh, futurist episodes that pop in and out during the month thanks to new and returning patrons in the last few weeks uh, laura venicia rodriguez and beth ball and thanks to everyone supporting the show on patreon for months and years you are amazing you really help support this show and uh, my (laughs) my periods of self-doubt you guys are fantastic you can support the show for a couple of dollars dollars or GBP or Canadian dollars or euros or currencies per month. And uh you will get the extra monthly Q&A audio, which I will probably also be recording this week when I answer questions from patrons and uh, also share some other things behind the scenes. You also get money off my ebooks, audiobooks, and courses, and you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. See, Ruth Taylor is the author of over 20 nonfiction books and a leading Jamaican authorpreneur. She's also a publishing consultant, podcaster, course creator and founder of Extra Mile Innovators. So welcome, Ruth.
1: Thank you, Joanna. It's
0: good being here. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing and publishing. Oh, that's a good
1: question. That could take us all day, but I'm going to give you the short version. <laughs> I am from the island that has produced the fastest man and woman in the world. That's Usain Bolt and our own Elaine Thompson-Herah. and the island that has given birth to reggae music, the, um, Bob Marley. And guess what the island that gave birth to James Bond this is where Ian Flemings wrote James Bond and that's the beautiful island of Jamaica how I got into writing and publishing well I've been a bookworm all my life. I'm an introvert, so I found it difficult to make friends as a child and teenager. And so books are my best friends. I would read two, three books per week, Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, Mills and Boons. And then I used to write poems. And uh, At a particular point in time, I would turn those into postcards and sell them. But in terms of writing and becoming an author, I did not see myself as an author. When I was finishing my first degree, the president of the seminary, Jamaica Theological Seminary, told me to do a particular graduate degree. And he said, I want you to do this because I believe you can write. And then a friend from Trinidad wrote in the Yale Prospectus, because I was applying to go to Yale, She said, I look forward to seeing your books in the future, but I didn't believe. Fast forward 10 years later, on the heels of a broken engagement in 2014, one of my mentors says, writing is therapeutic. And then I remembered a quote from a noted theologian from the UK, William Barclay said, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. And I knew how I would turn my traumatic experience into glory. It would be through writing. And so within 11 days, I wrote almost 68,000 words. And nine months later, the book was published. So that is how I got into writing and publishing. Okay, so you started with poetry. So you have a degree in theology, do you? Yes I have two degrees in theology Ah, just like you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well I've only got one so you've already beaten me there but no that's fascinating and so the traumatic experience into therapy that was was that a memoir?
1: It was a memoir but I wasn't just writing about the trauma I wanted to help others to to be healed from broken relationships, I wanted to share some of the tips that I learned because I was still standing. I did not go crazy or something like that.
0: Mm. and then you talked well, you've a couple of things there. you said you turned your poems into postcards, so you were already thinking about business, even with poetry, which is I think is quite rare, and now you help others through your businesses. So tell us wh- when did you decide to be an authorpreneur?
1: Well, like most authors, I fell into the trap thinking that my first book would make me a millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't. (laughs) It didn't, uh, because in my first experience, similar to you, I did a, a bulk run. I thought I could um print 5,000 books and sell them in no time, but I didn't have the funds. And so I printed 1,200, and it took about a year to sell those books. And I was transitioning from being a missionary into a full-time writing career, so I didn't have a job. And uh, some months I would sell a 100 books or more, other months nothing. And so I had to go back and get a part-time job, and then my eyes opened up that if I were to create products and services around my books, then I'd be able to create and generate income faster. So I did some business course, my coaching program with another friend who is an author, and I was able to match my part-time salary um, Like in a month or so. So in 2018, July, I left my part time job and dived full time into entrepreneurship. So it's not about selling books for me. It's about using the book as a platform for transformation and a tool for impact and income.
0: Yeah, and I love that. I think it's a very good business model for nonfiction writers in particular is the book is almost like a business card, right? And is that is that mainly the type of writers you work with now is nonfiction writers?
1: Primarily nonfiction writers, but it's more narrative nonfiction memoir. They are sharing their expertise and their experience. And then they're using that book now as a platform to launch a ministry or a business, that kind of thing. No, that's fantastic. So
0: uh, you mentioned there that you're in Jamaica uh, So, and you, you did mention Ian Fleming, but I wonder if you tell us a bit more about the literary <laughs> tradition of the Caribbean and also the Caribbean diaspora, those people who I guess have left the Caribbean and, and might live in
1: other places in the world. That's a good question. The Caribbean has a long, rich tradition of storytelling. In fact, we have had four Nobel laureates, and three of those are in literature, including Sir Derek Walcott from St. Lucia, V.S. Naipaul from Trinidad and Tobago. And in recent times, we've had Marlon James, who who won the Man Booker (laughs) Prize, and he's living overseas. We've had Olive Sr., who is a Jamaican living in Canada. So, we've had a long, rich literary tradition. Um, in school, we have story writing competitions, creative writing competitions from as young as five years old. <laughs> and we have a number of literary festivals. You have the Bocalit Festival, the AFW in Montserrat, Nifka in Barbados. And we have our own here in. Jamaica, where we have this annual festival where persons participate and win awards. So it goes back a long, long, long time, but we still have more oral tradition and more and more people need to write and publish their story, especially ordinary people doing extraordinary things, because for a long time, those who've written, it's those who've had access to. It's more like maybe the elites, (laughs) Mm. and I want more and more of ordinary Caribbean people to write, because our history, our context lends itself to rich resource. So even like Marlon James and others, they've won prize for documenting Caribbean history or colonial history, our varied multicultural history, Afro-Caribbean history, those kind of things make for rich storytelling material. No,
0: I think you're exactly right. And this is one of the exciting things, I think, about the internet (laughs) and being an an indie author is that you can write whatever story you like set in whatever place you like. I think you're exactly right there. So let's talk about it from the reader's perspective and also, I guess, for, for authors. I mean, you mentioned you're a bookworm and I also read Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and all that. So what is the ecosystem like in the caribbean how do people read or listen tell us a bit about that so so the listeners understand how it all works
1: okay well if we love your work we will get it in all formats that are available so whether it's the ebook or the print but i find that there's still a strong leaning to Print books. So, as much as we promote the ebooks and say, get the pre order or order ebooks, people still are in love with print. But right now, we are able to access and read books in all formats. We have quite a number of bookstores, but the bookstores very often it's more for educational um, literature and things like that. And you have some of the the small um, independent stores. So you have quite a number of those, but COVID has changed things. So those who are reluctant to go digital now have to do that. Even our libraries, our national libraries, they're more now collecting digital works. So there is a shift taking place from the physical bookstore, which is popular, to now taking on digital that's good. And then if people want to buy print online,
0: what what online stores do they use for that?
1: The most popular bookstore in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but is that Amazon. the Amazon?
0: Is it the Amazon.com Amazon. store? The US the Amazon,
1: store. yes, the Amazon.com. And for those in the diaspora, those in Canada, Amazon.ca, but primarily Amazon. And then there are those I know who use Google Books, but primarily the dominant one when Caribbean people think of publishing digitally, it's Amazon.
0: Right. Yeah, I thought that would be true. But it's interesting. I mean, just tell people a bit more about the geography of the region, because I feel like people lump everything together. It's like there's some islands. <laughs> <laughs> but, you yes. know, Jamaica is a big one. But um, just tell us a bit more about that, because I find it fascinating.
1: Well, we're close to North America. So you find many of our islands close to Florida, and it's in the, the greater Antilles portion there. So if you think of the U.S., if you think of even Trinidad, it's close to Venezuela. So it's right there. Um, the Caribbean waters is, close, is closer to North America. So they can go on. Find
0: it Mm, yeah and but I think the the main thing is that there are lots of different islands and obviously each one has its own set of traditions and and all of that so it's an interesting region so you have a, a stated goal as part of your business to make the Caribbean the home of indie publishing which I love so why do you think indie first for the Caribbean
1: Well, I think a major part of that is that we don't have a lot of traditional publishers in the Caribbean. There are a few publishing houses, like you have Nihisi. I think that one is out of St. Martin. You you have like Caribbean Reads out of St. Kitts. You've had like Ian Randall, Longman, um, Arawak, but they tend to specialize more in educational materials. And so persons who want to produce other kinds of books, there isn't enough traditional publishers. We don't have a lot of traditional publishing houses available. So very often if persons want a traditional publishing deal, they have to go overseas. One of my friends, Dr. Sharma Taylor, she just won a, a two book traditional deal, but it is with a publishing company in the UK, Virago. So... You find that access to publishing, because traditional publishing was dominant, you didn't have much access to it. And so even when traditional publishing was flourishing, Caribbean people, when you say, or when they say, I want to publish a book, they are looking to pay somebody to publish the book. When they say publisher is somebody that they are paying. So we naturally think that way. I did a poll recently and I said, can you tell me of a Caribbean author who's won a traditional deal that since 2015 and very few persons could answer that apart Mm. from some of the big names you know like the Marlon James and others who got those deals and so the natural thing is I'm going to pay somebody to publish my book and that's what we've been doing for many many years I want us to embrace that and since we have the digital publishing revolution to make that something that we are known for, just like what we are known for sports. I want the Caribbean to be like the creative capital of the world and just to dominate this field.
0: Oh, I love that. (laughs) I love your ambition. (laughs) <laughs> it's very, very good. But in, it's also, we should say, I guess, that Jamaica is part of the Commonwealth. So yes. when people do sign traditional deals, it might well be for UK Commonwealth. And that yes. includes a whole load of countries all over yes. the world. So in the bookstores, are you really seeing a lot of books published out of the UK?
1: Um, I really cannot answer that because most of my purchase is online. <laughs> <laughs> it's online, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But what we do find, like I said, is what I find in the bookstore is a lot of popular North American literature. Mm -hmm. So you would have the T.D. Jakes or you would have like the Nora Roberts or anybody who is a hit, the Stephen Kings and, and others. Those are the books that go in the bookstore because the bookstores, they want to make money. So they are not going to carry books that of unknown authors that are just going to sit there.
0: No, absolutely. So you started your Authorpreneur Secrets podcast, which I've been on, and also you have courses that help other authors. And you've been doing a lot of, of research around this. And obviously, you, yourself, you have a lot of books. So what are the biggest things you've learned about being an indie author?
1: Joanna, as I would say in Jamaica, enough work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. So there's more in it than you think. And uh, sometimes authors uh, think that because it's not a traditional publishing um, deal and process that may take 18 months, they think that they can just um, publish a book in two months. (laughs) And so they rush the process and that really irks me. It's a mistake that I made, but they underestimate or we underestimate the amount of work that it takes and the fact that we need to take charge of... Or take responsibility for our publishing success. So I find that it's a steep learning curve and many persons are still not aware of what it is and what the process intakes. And so because they don't know that, they fall for the scams because we're willing to pay. We're willing to pay to market and a lot of stuff. So I find that is a major challenge taking ownership And just understanding the nuts and bolts of it, we are far, we are far away from mastering this. And every week I get calls about it from doctors, lawyers, you name it. They still don't understand independent publishing or self-publishing, and they are making a lot of mistakes. So they really need, we all need a guide on this journey. And we've all been there, right?
0: Like you said at the beginning, you did the same mistakes. I made mistakes. Um, We've all made the mistakes at the beginning. But is it just that the the indie author ecosystem, I guess, in the Caribbean is just very new? Are you one of the only people talking
1: about this? Well, it's new, but I'm not the only person. We have... um... We've, like my friend Nerissa Golden from Montserrat, she she was publishing independently from 1998. So I'm not the only one, but it is still like day one. So we have other groups in Jamaica who are doing it, but I find that the, in Jamaica and other Caribbean islands, I find that it is still very very new so more education needs to take place which is why I started the podcast and now I have a publishing school for teens because we have writing clubs but no publishing clubs <laughs> mm. so it is still very much new to many of us but it's developing and what I find is that we're not just doing it the traditional way as in depending on book sales we are using the books as a platform and so that is part of our economic empowerment because after we sell the first 200 books because of our economic challenges we don't have the money to pump into Amazon ads and that kind of thing so we do more creative marketing with our books and use it to open doors to get our message to the masses.
0: I think everyone is now going what? What is this creative marketing? because look a lot of people a lot of people can't afford ads anymore. It's not just Caribbean authors. So what type of creative marketing are you doing and encouraging
1: others to do? Well, for me, marketing is easy because it is adding value to people. It is connecting with others and helping to serve and solve a problem while bringing um, visibility to that. So if you all nonfiction books solve a problem. So if you have an audience with a problem and you have valuable information, then all you need to do is to try to reach them. And so what we do is to take the content out of the book and reach persons. And we do like events, so webinars, summits. And uh, we have these gatherings like over the weekend, I was part of a farewell celebration goodbye party for the former head of the Caribbean Graduate School of Theology. And within that forum were leaders. And he asked me to pitch my book. It's a low content book, the Legacy Journal, and talk about the fact that we need to write and publish more. (laughs) So in giving him a gift of my books, I gave him three of my books. I was able now to pitch that. (laughs) So through events and when your events are around your book, then you're marketing without even knowing it. So like I have the Authorpreneur Secrets podcast is a book turned podcast. The, uh, the Caribbean Authorpreneur Summit is a summit based on my book, Authorpreneur Secrets. So you just have to come up with uh, ways to serve and reach the people, give them information. And then you just say, by the way, I have a book. <laughs> so it becomes easy.
0: Yeah, I do think that message of serving the audience is exactly right. And that's what we do with this show. But you mentioned earlier that you're an introvert and you do summits and webinars and events and the podcast, you do YouTube videos. And so for people <laughs> listening who feel like as an introvert, they don't want to do a lot of this stuff. Uh, what would you say to them?
1: Okay. Well, you can get somebody <laughs> to try to help you, but uh, you and I know about the power of email marketing and uh, the strategy of, for example, writing multiple books and having first free in the series. So if you have like your website that can be passively building your reader tribe, you have something to give away. And so you can just focus on content marketing with eBooks and you can have somebody manage at least one social media page for you to put out a post. So one of my authors, she has a social media manager who does her Instagram and everything. She's not necessarily there. And then Like Seth Godin talks about the tribe, you want to get your first 1,000 true fans. So I would say build a community and it doesn't need for you to be in front of the audience to do that. Offer valuable information, give away, have a free book first, free in the series or something of the sort, and then passively draw people to you and communicate with them via email using a newsletter and things like that.
0: Mm, great. So yeah, the tried and true methods, I think are, you know, good to get. And this is what I find so funny. People will say, oh, well, I can't do ads, so I can't do marketing. And I'm like, look, I, I have a book on marketing, how to market a book. And there's two pages on ads. There are sort of 300 pages on everything else. It's like people forget these basics of marketing that actually underpin what what most
1: of us do for most of our work, right? Right. Because of how marketing has been pitched, you think that it is paying for advertisement, it is uh, putting out a trailer. But I like what Tim Groll says in terms of his definition for marketing. It is... Uh, serving people and connecting with them getting permission to connect with them and being relentlessly helpful so if you think of being relentlessly helpful and finding people to help then you're automatically getting the word out there and you personally don't have to do it like one of my authors he didn't want to do the promotion for his books and he's a pastor he got some of the church members to form a group and they they did the promotion for him. So he only had to like show up to his book launch and a couple of things, but he had a team. You have to have a team. So even though we talk about, I don't like you, I don't like the term self-publishing because it's like, it's all on you. If you want to go far, there's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together, get at least one other person to work with you and uh, you'll be able to get it done.
0: Yes, of course, most of us have freelance freelancers. We work with the cover designers and editors and all of this kind of thing. So you're exactly right. So I wanted to also ask about the mindset of Caribbean authors, as you said, it's kind of day one, it's the beginning, and there's a lot of views as to how things are or how they used to be. So, um, What would you say to anyone listening? How would you encourage people listening who might be feeling the industry doesn't represent them, it might not be for them?
1: What I recommend is that you understand the power of a book (laughs) because a book gives you authority. It gives you voice. It brings attention and awareness to a particular cause. It's a vehicle for your vision. So what is your vision and how could a book getting across. One of the things I want to emphasize is getting your story out. Your story is like a testimony and uh, someone's destiny is tied to your book. Someone's uh, um, deliverance, I would say, is tied to your book because I know what books have done for me. So while there are challenges in the industry, focus on purpose and helping someone. And I believe when you make this bigger than you and you have an objective, a goal, a purpose that is bigger than you, then you gain the courage to do the hard work. Because uh, as you said in our interview, Joanna, the future is about diverse people, um, diverse stories from various parts of the world. And uh, there are people waiting To hear from us, people find the Caribbean fascinating. And the the other thing is that you don't want your history and your culture, the experiences to die with you. So, a large part of why I encourage people to write is for legacy building. There are books that have been written, just like the Bible, hundreds of years ago that is still impacting me. So, your story might just be the story that connects with somebody. And move them closer towards their destiny. You want the future generations to know about our rich history, and uh, tell it the right way. Because history is always told from the point of view of the conqueror. We need to tell our own stories. I would say, get a larger vision, understand the power of a book, and. get your feet wet you don't have to be a writing genius that's what editors are for and and other persons i had for example a 90 year old who um her daughter and myself we worked on her book and got her story out at 90 years old and so many persons loved that book so think about it like that
0: yeah, I think that's a really good message. And I, I feel like you say, you don't have to be a writing genius. Like you can be a Jamaican author without being Marlon James, you know, winning the, <laughs> the Booker Prize. <laughs> yes. I mean, in the same way, I can be a British author without winning the Booker Prize. Um, so I think I think we've pretty much claimed him now because I think he lives here.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, he's in the diaspora. <laughs> yeah,
0: he is. But I think it's also important because of course, you're in the Caribbean, but there are listeners listening all over the world. We have listeners, for example, in Pat, New Guinea and authors in Kenya or in South Southeast Asia countries where perhaps in the same way voices haven't been heard so much so I think this is so important and your story whatever you want to tell like just um uh, it doesn't have to be about the deep and meaningful side of things either does it it can just be a, a fun book or a, a romance or a thriller or a horror novel I don't think I've read a horror novel by Caribbean author unless you could say Marlon James's book it did have some horror elements but what do you think are, are there many genre fiction writers or do you think it's mainly focused on a lot of non-fiction at the moment
1: it's a blend it's it's really a blend like my friend who just got the traditional deal, it's, it's creative writing, it's fiction. So you have various kinds of books. It's not just nonfiction. I find especially like children's books. What I find is that those from the diaspora is as if they have nostalgia. And mm-hmm. so they are constantly writing about life in the Caribbean, <laughs> whether they, they, they put that in fiction, whether um, it's horror, whether it is any of the other genre. One of my friends, she wrote a novel about In My Blood, and it's really paranormal that kind of thing but she uses both the Caribbean setting and in that book the diaspora she speaks about Canada so Caribbean authors have a way of blending everything together and our culture lends to that thing about you know we call them doppy stories we're always telling ghost stories and so it's very rich it's not one side because I specialize in Fiction doesn't mean that. I mean, nonfiction. Others are not writing those stories. In fact, there was a girl I can't remember her name, but her book she, she she won a movie deal, self-published. But it's that kind of blend. We mix up all of those things. So the spiritual is not necessarily divorced from the natural, and so you, you have those blending in, in in worlds.
0: And then, in terms of marketing people's books globally. I mean, I when I started writing and um, self-publishing, I was living in Australia and there were like 20 million people in Australia, obviously not all of them readers. And so I decided that my primary marketing activity would be to the USA because they have a lot of people and a lot of readers and a developed online market. So I have always primarily marketed in the US. So what do you think about authors in the Caribbean? Should they be marketing to the US or diaspora or because presumably the Caribbean isn't a big enough area on its own to sustain much of a career in terms of sales
1: you are so correct what I find is that they are tapping into US, UK, Canada primarily Mm. Um, that is where the reach is and it makes sense even back home most of the funds that come back home It's really from the diaspora, so a big part of our economic support, GDP, that kind of thing, comes from people in the diaspora, so it makes sense to market to them. Again, like I say about that nostalgia, I'm helping an an author, and her book is about donkey say. and many of the books are based on life in the Caribbean, experience in the Caribbean. And so it makes sense to market to those wider markets where you can have resonance. And just Jamaica alone, we have about 5 million Jamaicans living in the diaspora and our population is almost 3 million on the island. So it makes sense to market in those regions. Absolutely. And you're so right about that
0: nostalgia. <laughs> it is, it's very true. I mean, even where I used to live in Clapham, in London, which was right next to Brixton, and obviously a lot of Caribbean culture, uh, and, and a lot of talking about back home, uh, even though some people were born in England, for example. So I think you're right, that kind of diaspora is a very good market.
1: Agreed, agreed. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So coming back to the theology at the beginning, because (laughs) a lot of people of faith, and you've mentioned some of the people you work with, pastors and and things like that, a lot of people of faith want to write books either about their faith or not necessarily directly about their faith, but they want to represent their faith in some way. So how do you encourage writers uh, of faith to portray their work or um, is it a specific market or you want to be
1: wider than that? Oh, I love this question. (laughs) Well, it's different. What I encourage them to do, there's a thing in in, in Jamaican, in, in Caribbean churches, when we have testimony time, there's all ears about, you know, what God has done in our lives. And so what I push is that you take the testimony from the four walls to the world. So your book could be about you as a Christian business person. But within that, you may have a single or two paragraphs that just captures your testimony of how you came to faith or how your faith principles have helped you to overcome Issues And so that's the kind of blend. I say put your expertise there and tell your story and, and, and put it in there. But don't let it be, you know, that it is like the central focus. For example, with my own self, I have a book called Keys to Win at Life. It's about 100 problem solving strategies, 100 proverbs and applications of these success principles. And I only shared my testimony of coming to faith in two paragraphs. And yet somebody read that book and came to faith. So you have to have the wisdom to do that. Some of them write devotionals and it's kind of like inspirational self-help where the basis for, The help, they have a biblical foundation. So it's not just preaching, preaching, preaching. You're telling real life stories like giving a testimony. This is what I've been through. And this is how my faith has helped me, whether in business, my career, my marriage, you name it. And and, uh, these are the lessons learned. And I think people are more open to that and they have a greater appetite for that. And so you get to tell what I call God's stories. And in a subtle way, you are evangelizing and people will come to faith.
0: And I think this is really important because, again, it's so funny. You mentioned the testimony time. So someone will be, and I've been to churches like this, and people will be happy to stand up and talk about how they came to faith or what God has done for them. And they can feel confident that their story is unique and that people will listen to them. They might not, you know, listen. (laughs) For too long. But as in everyone has their story. And this is the same thing about writing a book. It's like everyone has their story and it might be the same. Uh, it might be a romance. It might be a thriller or whatever. It might be a nonfiction book about how they came to faith. But your story is the thing that matters. Yes, there might be millions of other books on the same topic, but your story it hasn't been told yet. So, and, and it's funny how people don't think about that in a different environment, isn't it? Yet they accept it in one environment and not in another.
1: I, I agree. I started a series called Untold Stories because of this. Very often we don't see the beauty and the abundance that is around us. And so you have others who come to our territory and they we don't understand our value and our worth I think we're still suffering from Europe um, is is better. North America is better because of colonialism. so mm-hmm. there is still that we're not good enough. so you undervalue your story. you undervalue your experience, not understanding that sometimes it is your story told in in your voice that will resonate with other people who are just like you. And so they may hear it from 10 different sources, but because they can identify with you, they are more open to receive the truth that others are offering, but now it's being told in a language they can understand by people who are familiar to them. So I, I always say you need to tell your story because each person's audience is different and your story will resonate with somebody um, other people reading the same material it wouldn't resonate with them so we need to value our own stories and 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 share them there's beauty and abundance in our culture there's beauty and abundance in your story um scripturally we talk about can anything good come out of nazareth i think very often the caribbean we see ourselves like a nazareth and we have to inherently believe in our somebody <laughs> and share that with the world Oh and I
0: I know that biblical quote but I've been to Nazareth and I think Jamaica's <laughs> a lot nicer. <laughs> I mean really. Uh, it, it's it's actually and it's so funny because I mean you're right but a lot of British people they dream of the Caribbean. During lockdown everyone just wants the Caribbean. So everyone wants yes. to come to your home. Um so yeah, so just one more question before we're out of time. So you have started a podcast, you started a YouTube channel, you are putting out a lot of content. You put yourself on the screen, you put your voice out there. Have you learned anything that might help people who want to do those things? Because I know there's a bit of a learning curve, isn't there? But has it been worth it for you?
1: It has been absolutely worth it. Books have opened doors for me. I've been invited to places I never dreamt. I'm on this podcast because I wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to say that the world is waiting. When you understand the power of a book and what it will do for you, then you will be able to get past the trepidation and the fear books transform not only other people's lives, but your life. Let me just put just this little story in there. I went from a donor support missionary, depending on people's generosity to survive, to be able to make a full-time living and be self-supporting because I wrote a book and I understood that if you're able to leverage the book, then you can create greater impact and income faster than even just selling the book. And I've seen people, you know, the impact the book has on them when they read it, some of them cry, some of them talk about the healing and the deliverance. I just want to say, despite the challenges, there are people to help you like, I have my company. We're launching Bamboo Sparks. By the time this comes out, someone's deliverance or destiny is tied to your book. Don't keep them waiting. Write it now.
0: Fantastic. So where can people find you and everything you do
1: online? They can find me at extra mile. That's E-X-T-R-A-M-I-L-E, extra mile, J-A, dot com. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Ruth. That was great. Thank you for having me, Joanna. It was a
0: blast. So, I hope you found the discussion with Ruth interesting. It's always good to remember that the indie movement is just beginning in some countries and everyone has a different experience to share. So, I should be having an in between episode this week a discussion with Mark Coker and Kevin Tomlinson on the Draft to Digital and Smashwords merger, but we haven't recorded it yet. So, hopefully, that will happen. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Next Monday, I'll be talking to Craig Martell about his journey from the Marine Corps and military intelligence through consulting to 20 Books to 50K, which is kind of iconic now in the indie movement, and what he sees as the best way to make an indie career, plus a discussion of what the biggest indie conference in the world, 20 Books Vegas, looks like and how an introvert author might navigate a few days there in November. Because I am planning to go this year, twenty bucks Vegas. Um, yeah, although uh, I would like a tip. Here's a here's a question. I would like a tip. How do I avoid getting electric shocks everywhere? Which is what happened the last time I was in Vegas. I, I was getting shocked everywhere, and I kept dropping my coffee because I was getting shocked. It was it wasn't fun. I'd really like to know how to avoid that. <laughs> so happy writing, and I'll see you next time.